They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task, got it covered like a mask. Guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I hail from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. It is my sincere hope that everyone had a solid weekend, that you were safe and rubbed a little bit of sunshine on your faces. In some parts of the land, July 1st was called Independence Day. Others in the same parts of the land might call it Indigenous Day. Some even called July 4th Independence Day in other parts of the land. Some might call it Colonizers Independence Day. You know, because on July 4th, 1776, black people in particular couldn't celebrate Independence Day because they weren't even considered people yet until a piece of paper called the 13th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States said, okay, you can stop being property now. You can be people. Celebrate with us. Right. Here's some freedom. January 1st, 1863, except for those people in Texas, but you already know about that from Juneteenth. And welcome to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run is brought to you each week by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. I can be found on these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. Independence. I realized and I noted years and years ago as a wee lad that I was a nerd. And I guess I was cool with this because in the summer of 1976, I'm sitting in the house instead of being outside and playing with my friends or doing something that I wasn't supposed to be doing. I don't know. I was nerding out and watching a documentary on the father of American music, Louis Daniel Armstrong, who died July 6th, 1971. And on the bicentennial, lots of music about, you know, the history or lots of stuff about the history of America and and the music of America. And jazz is the original American music, no doubt. And watching this documentary made me want to play music, something that was mine, independent of everything else that I was doing. And I went to my mother and I asked her if we can go and get a trumpet. And she looked at me like I had seven heads. I said, boy, you know, we don't have that money. Yet and still, we went to a secondhand shop, picked up an old beat up trumpet, got me a new mouthpiece, and I spent my entire summer giving myself a brain aneurysm because I didn't know how to play the trumpet. I thought all you had to do was blow into the mouthpiece and sound would come out. A little sound came out, but it wasn't like the trumpet. And the sounds it made when Louis Armstrong played it, I want to learn how to do that. And my life has been bent on taking my time and learning how to do things to be successful. And I had a teacher by the name of Mr. DeSantis. I was going into the third grade, if I'm not mistaken. And I told him I wanted to be in the band. He was the band director. I appreciated the time that he spent in letting me know that I was special, that I could do it if I put my mind to it. It sounds hokey, utopian, but I put my mind to it. 
and I learned how to play it. And by the end of that year, I made an all-region band. This was a, a band made up of elementary school kids, junior high school kids, high school kids. And I was the sixth chair, first year playing. Next year, I was third chair. Got to play on trio. Fifth grade, 10 years old. I was a man. Got to play a solo, first chair, being a high school student. So I was nice with it. Played Rhapsody in Blue by George and Ira Gershwin. Hmm. I was like, I'm going to start a jazz band. But I couldn't find kids who had the same discipline as I did. Had the same desire. And so that got put to bed. And there are two men now who found the right bands to play the right tunes and lead them all the way to the NBA Finals. So congratulations to Christopher Emmanuel Paul and the Phoenix Suns and Giannis LaTerrence Tendacumpo. I gave him that middle name. Don't at me. And his Milwaukee Bucks for making it there. This is the matchup of the 1969 NBA draft coin flip. Because before the draft lottery became a thing in 1985, they decided who was, who was going to get that pick by a coin flip. The old-fashioned way. Phoenix had an opportunity to get the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Lewis Alcindor Jr., a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They lost the coin flip. Will they lose the series? We'll find out soon as I break it down a little bit later in the program. And getting back to the home of jazz, to Louis Armstrong, to my desires, to one of the places that Chris Paul actually played in his career in New Orleans, New Orleans' finest, Percy Robert Miller and his son Hersey have signed a four-year, $2 million name, image, and likeness deal with a tech company as the NCAA rules have been drastically altered for student-athletes who can now earn a living and go out and seek sponsorships. He hasn't played a second. Not mad at Percy Miller, Master P, doing his thing and using his business acumen to set his children up with ideas of how they can market and promote themselves because the greatest commodity you have in this life is you. Also happening in New Orleans very, very soon is the return of Ice Cube's Big Three, COVID has sat down the big three for a little while. I know they're playing in limited spots. I know they're playing in Las Vegas and New Orleans and eventually the championships in the Bahamas, if I'm not mistaken. So the big three is back. We're going to have basketball throughout the summer. And it's a really viable way now that they've lowered the age limit for athletes who can get in the league. Before it was just mostly retired players. or I think you had to be at least 27 to play in the league. Now it's down to the age of 22. And over the past couple of years, we've been working with the big three to find a way for our male champion for Full Court 21 All-World Finals in New York City to have an opportunity to try out for a big three team. I mean the actual tryout. And happy birthday, happy seventh birthday to Full Court 21 Canada. We started the campaign, the program, north of the 49th parallel way back in July of 2015. Didn't know how it would work. Litmus tested in two of the biggest markets, the two biggest markets, as a matter of fact, Vancouver and Toronto, and looking forward to coming back next year in 2022 to go come back to all five of our cities across the country, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, Halifax, and Edmonton. All hailed the queen, the first person to ever score a basket from women's Olympic basketball way back in 1976 in Montreal, Lucy Harris from Delta State, the Hall of Famer. The two-time AIWA champion with Delta State in Mississippi wants to be recognized, as she should be. 
You know, we know about Nancy Lieberman. We know about Ann Myers. We know about Ann Donovan. All these people who were a part of that team. And if you don't know about Lucy Harris, get your Google weight up. And make it happen. Continuing on the Team USA women's selection side of things, there's a lot of controversy right now in regard to the alleged UConn bias because one of the city board members, the former Team USA coach, Gino Oriema, head coach of the UConn Lady Huskies and owner of, what, I think 11 or 12 national championships. So he's had lots of players come through that program, lots of players play on the Olympic team, and it's relatively easy to call out a UConn bias for the volume of players who have come to that program and also played on the Olympic squad. In 2016, former WNBA MVP Candace Parker was omitted from the squad. This year, former MVP Neka Agumake was also omitted from the squad, raising lots of eyebrows and questioning Gina Oriema and the idea that there is a UConn bias. What you can't be biased about is more of the good on the show where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back right after this. Back giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with Miss Tamara Tatham. Now, if you didn't know already, as a matter of fact, what I do with lots of people is, is that I allow them to run their resume. And I want to do something a little bit different with your resume because I found something in my research with my crack research staff here of one that you've been a lot of places around the world that I have also been for different reasons. Well, welcome to the podcast, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And can you run your resume? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I played uh, professional basketball for 10 years. Um, prior to that, I went to the University of Massachusetts um, on a four-year scholarship. I uh, had a great career there, was a four-year starter, made the 1,000 points plus club. i done pretty good things at UMass. We didn't make the tournament, but it was a really, really good um, learning and growing experience for me personally. Um, After I left UMass, I went on to play for the national team. I went to an open tryout uh, and made the national team through that. They don't do open tryouts anymore from what I know. (laughs) Uh, And so, yeah, I played on the national team for 10 years, been all over the world playing with the national team, went to a couple world championships, two Olympic games, a bunch of FIBA America qualifiers. And yeah, that's kind of where I've been. And so while playing on the national team, I also played professionally in five different countries. And after that, I ended up starting to coach. I went into my coaching career and that started at the University of Toronto as the lead assistant on the women's side and was the lead assistant for three years, was an interim head coach for one year, and I'm now currently the head coach at University of Toronto. And I also coach with the junior women's national team and we'll be heading to the World Cup uh, this summer. Oh, you did you leave something out? Huh? Raptors 905? Oh, and the Raptors 905. Oh, See, there's so much I mean, but, going but on. When, so when you're a boss like that, when you're a boss like that, you know, you have so much going on. You got so many stripes on your uniform. 
Can you yeah. Them all? Just, you know, this small G League thing with the, ah, you know, whatever. But it's great, and I appreciate you running that because you went to the University of Massachusetts. I taught there. Cool. I created and taught really the cool. world's first university accredited course on hip-hop culture there five years before you came to UMass, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I DJed all over Europe during my university years and my summers. So I've been to Finland where you played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I played in Germany. I actually DJ well, playing in Germany, all right, quite as kept. The NCAA doesn't care now. And we can get paid for our name, image, and likeness. So mm-hmm. back then, <laughs> I was playing with a semi-pro team, making a yeah. little money in the summer. Yeah. And uh, we went to Riga Latvia. And my squad almost got jumped by a bunch of Latvian cats, but that's a whole nother conversation. So <laughs> we played in Finland where I DJ and, and had taken artists. We played in Germany. Mm-hmm. Right? And Germany is where, I guess, would you say you found your greatest professional success? I've had good success all over Europe. Uh, Germany was great because I was on a team that I remember we played one year and we were like at the bottom of the league. And by the end of the regular season, we made it to playoffs just barely by being the seventh seed. Only eight teams made it to playoffs and we ended up going to the championship. So, I mean, it was a really cool year that year. Mm. Um, I would say Slovakia was great too. I loved my team there. Um, and we did some really cool things for the club. A lot of first times. First times was the bronze medal in the league. Uh, you know, we played in Euro Cup for the first time with that team. A lot of really, really cool things um, playing with that Slovakian team. And I would say... I've never been to Slovakia. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, it's a small country, very small country. I feel like you could drive from one end to the other end in like five Basically. hours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's nice being in small towns. I really like that feel. And then after you left Slovakia, you went to Russia, correct? I went to Australia after Aust- I left. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. I love Australia. And you were playing okay. where? <laughs> uh, I was in Townsville, which is in Queensland, which is a bit of mm-hmm. the tropics. Right. In- so it's, it's the, in, in Australia, because everything's upside down, so the north is actually the tropical part and the yes. south is a little bit colder so you're up near Cairns yeah. and places like that so yeah. for five years the government of australia had me come over and do speaking engagements on hip-hop oh. and education as part of their truth and reconciliation program cool so i had like diplomatic plates they were i was balling out there right <laughs> uh, so i wasn't balling like you but i was out there balling and i love australia you know when you go all around the continent and the country because it's both whether you're in sydney did you play in sydney for a minute as well i I never played in sydney we played against sydney so i've been Mm. to sydney um it Mm. was in the WNBL, which is the league in australia absolutely um so i mean we've been to sydney a few times yeah no it's just able to go around from from you know brisbane sydney canberra which Mm. is the capital Melbourne, you go to Perth, then you end up in Cairns on the beach and the Great Barrier Reef and everything. Yeah. It's an amazing place to be and just a, a great Absolutely. experience. And then you went from there to Russia? I know. <laughs> I went <laughs> from this amazing hot country to right. playing in Russia, which Russia is not bad. I mean, Moscow's amazing. I really mm. like the feel of um, Moscow. I was in Siberia, which is uh, the coldest part of Russia. <laughs> now, when you, and, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I have a question about that. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, but so I was there. Um, so it's about a four hour flight to Moscow. So, mm. I mean, Russia's huge. And mm. traveling to games is much harder than like playing in a Slovakia, right? right? So it's interesting. Well, so you're from Canada. Mm -hmm. What is colder, Siberia or Canada? Siberia. Easily? Not even close? Easily. Easily. I mean, I'm from Toronto. Uh, it's cold in the winter, but I don't think it's like the worst. Uh, but Siberia, I'm telling Canada, you. I've been some places in Canada that have been very cold in my life. I, I think Winnipeg is probably the coldest place I've ever been on the planet. Yeah. yeah and nice. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Siberia just sounds cold just because it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> when you hear the name, you automatically, you don't think, Oh, it might have a sunny day out there in Siberia. No, you yeah. think cold, but you, think um, cold? you now you've been everywhere playing basketball and, and now there's a professional league in North America that is pretty well respected. The players are great. They come from all around the world, so they're actually, you know, doing a lot of what the NBA is doing and growing their brand. It's just 25 years young. And mm -hmm. uh, the, with the WNBA, the WNBA All-Star game is coming up on July 14th. Um, and there's a different format this year. So there is the NBA or WNBA All-Stars versus Team USA All-Stars. But really, isn't that just dressed up as different people because they're all in the WNBA anyway? I think that's cool. I think it's a pretty cool the idea. Format, yeah, yeah it's, you always want to kind of change it up, keep it new, keep it fresh. Uh, you've seen that in the NBA, them trying different things. So um, trying something like that in the WNBA, see if it works, see if they get a lot of, a lot of um, good vibes from it uh, and see if that works out. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. How, how do you feel about the league? When you got out of school, the league was, what, maybe just – it's still in its infancy right now, but it was about 10, 15 years old at that point. When I was in high school? No, no, when when you were finished playing at uh, UMass. Yeah, um, probably about 10 years old at mm. that point. Um, it's different. It's much different, right? Um, mm. And I also now watch the WNBA through a coach's lens. So I like the way I watch the game. Is so much different. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, let me ask you questions. That that's different, right? And this is the very thing I, I love that as a player, a, a person who played the game. Because there are some people who never really played the game. That coach Chuck Daly was one of the, the most famous coaches who never played basketball at all. But mm -hmm. to see the game through a player's lens and then seeing it through a coach's lens, can you give me just a little bit of an idea of the difference in the two for you? I think for in a player's lens you are really watching the game and seeing what what's happening on the floor how they're switching up defenses but you typically for me I was typically watching who I'm going to be playing against so I'm really paying attention to the forwards as opposed to exactly what the guards are doing okay maybe I'm watching this guard because I know she's always playing with this forward type of thing and I want to know what she does in case I get switched out onto her in a from a coach's lens you're really paying attention to everything that is happening on the floor offensively defensively uh, what they're doing out of timeouts what they're doing in end game situations you're really looking at every single detail of what's happening mm. well there's been a lot of conversation around the Olympics you know with mm -hmm. the pandemic uh, being pushed back a year. Generally, they're in the even years, the summer games, and the odd years for the winter games. This year's a little bit different. The Tokyo 2021 games 
are going on and the Canadian women's national team uh, was in the center of a, I don't want to call it a controversy, but it was something that bore some news coverage mm-hmm. um, with Kim Koshay, um mm-hmm. as a breastfeeding mom um, wanting to bring her daughter, Sophie, to uh, Tokyo during COVID. And the Olympic Committee and the Tokyo Committee being kind of vehement about who can come over. They didn't know how many fans they would have over there. And a decision that a man would never have to make if he was mm-hmm. in the situation, but a woman had to. As a two-time Olympian yourself, which is kind of cool, you went to London in 2012. Um, look at that smile. And and mm-hmm. uh, Rio in 2016. How, how do you feel about that whole situation? I think it was it's a situation that um, is going to bring a lot of light to how things are kind of the things that are in place, essentially, for going to the Olympics or participating or whatever is kind of like the issue in this time. I understand that it's COVID and they may have had rules surrounding things, but I mean, it's tough for an athlete to leave her, her newborn baby if they're heading to the Olympics. So I feel that they've made the right decision in allowing it. Um, and I'm super happy for Kim to be able to go to the Olympics and not have to make that tough decision of um, not going or going without Sophie. No doubt. You know, you talked about the stellar career you've had and you've been involved in, in the, the national team system for a while. How did the whole University of Toronto job uh, come for you and, and eventually having the interim um, title taken off of your title as head coach? Uh, ooh, uh, how did it come about? The, yeah, the how did you, how did you, yeah, how did you get there? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so after I finished playing in Russia, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back over or if I was just going to kind of uh, start life, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I knew I was retiring from the national team, but I wasn't sure if I was going to, again, like I said, continue to play overseas. This job opportunity came along. I applied for it and I got an interview and I got the position. So I had to make a tough decision of whether I was going to continue to play or whether I was going to stay home and really start a career in uh, coaching. Mm. So that's kind of how it came along. I decided on coaching. I really prayed on it, um, leaned on my faith and went that direction. And did you... Did your body or your mind more so help you make the decision about whether you want to continue playing or coaching? More so my mind. I know you say body because it's old, I, I'm getting older. And, no, no, it's just like, you know, <laughs> as a professional athlete, you understand, like, I don't think people understand yeah. how much pain you play in, even during the, the, the regular season or the playoffs, mm-hmm. and, and then how you have to rehab in the offseason just to be prepared to, for that grind again. I yeah. think people, they see it from the outside looking in, but they don't really understand how much you play, how much pain you play in every year. And every year it gets more difficult. And with the travel, and if you're in different places, the, the quality of the travel is different. The length of the travel is different. That wears mm-hmm. on your body. It takes years off your body, um, whether people yeah. know that or not. And so that's why I asked the question, was it a decision like, can I get up in the morning? Do I feel like going to work today physically? Or can I just get up and start thinking about the plays that I want to draw up? who I want to recruit, what camp I want to go to, whatever the case might be. It, uh, were those equal, I guess, in decision-making for you? No, uh, definitely not. Like, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that, yeah, like, as you start to play longer and longer um, as a pro, your body starts to wear 
But I think that's one of the good things that they're doing now is really understanding the concept around load management and understanding that we do need to really pay attention to our recovery. And being a national team athlete, I really paid attention to the things that we need to do to help our body recover every single day. So I I was definitely able to play more. I, I don't think it was a matter of thinking, oh, I don't want to play. I don't want to get up and be in pain again you know mm. uh but as you as you go on in your professional career you are waking up in pain hey. <laughs> i agree with that your um, body's gonna be like yo man lay yeah. back down <laughs> but, <laughs> but i mean it i don't think that was my deciding factor at all no okay cool well yeah. as as the boss there there are always highlights of having an opportunity especially as a black woman and in canada to have the keys to the car to create a program with your ideology, with your philosophy as a player and as a coach, um, how far away do you feel like you are from your goal as a head coach with the University of Toronto uh, women's team there? You never know. <laughs> I mean, it could happen this year, it could happen next year. But um, in terms of my overarching goal, which is obviously to win a championship, mm. I want to give myself five years for that. Um, mm. And it, you need time to kind of really build something special. So. Yeah. Getting your culture together and everything like that, right? Yeah. All right. Well, what are some of the lowlights of being the boss? Like, you you understand the highlights, but what are some of the lowlights of being the boss? Things that, okay, this is part of the responsibility, but I'd rather not do it. Uh, well, being a university head coach in Canada is a little different than being a university head coach in America. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you have to pay attention to all areas of the uh, program. So you're you're paying attention to uh, fundraising. You're in charge of that. You're in charge oh. of uh, you're in charge of alumni uh, alumni engagement. You're in charge of the athletes, your staff, pretty much how everything runs. You're essentially a CEO of a company. So do you like <laughs> um, it? There's a lot to do, um, mm. and I would say like really managing it. I guess that's the part that people don't really see. Um, mm. And that is a huge part to it. If you can manage it well and you can promote it well, um, you'll do really good things. Well, our CEO right now on the program, Ms. Tamara Tatham, thank you for speaking to us. But we're going to be back for a little bit more right after this on The Open Run with Will Strickland. You're now back listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic into the speaker. In conversation with my special guest, Tamara Tatham, women's head basketball coach at the University of Toronto, Ms. Tatham. Now, you noticed that when we were talking about the breadth of your illustrious basketball career to date, because you're still very young, you have lots of chapters to write. You left out the Raptors 905, but as the first woman to ever coach an NBA-affiliated professional team in this country, and also a Black woman doing that, did that ever strike you as something that was really important? Or just like, hey, look, I coach, I play basketball, my gender, my race don't really matter that much? Honestly, when I got the position, I didn't know all that was happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it is important, you know. I think it's important for 
young females, uh, young black females to see what it is that you can be, what you can do. And, you know, a lot of people cannot actually be what they can't see, right? Mm. So that's a big thing that I think is very important when we are in these positions, when we do have athletes speaking out, when we have coaches getting these amazing positions, it is important for us to show it is something that can be done, uh, no matter who you are, Black woman, woman, um, coaching on a men's staff. It's something that it can be done, and it's just a matter of seeing that you can do it as well. So, yeah. and did how how much did that enhance your coaching philosophy or, or shape some things or things you had to learn on the fly as a coach there? What were some of the things that really stood out to you? Uh, it it shaped it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but the professional uh, scene is so much different than uh, the university's way of coaching. And I think a few of the things that stuck out to me is the way things were structured, and it was very stru- structured really well. Things were done on time, how they needed, there was just a way that things were done. And doing that really allowed for the team and the staff and anyone that was involved in the organization to run at the best capacity. So I I think I took that from it. Uh, I took a lot from practices. I I loved some of the things that we were doing in practice uh, in order to teach our athletes to make things transfer onto Mm. the court. Uh, so that is a few things that I definitely took while being on that coaching staff. Well, in a leadership position like you are at the biggest university, basically, in the country, what do you think is the future of Canadian women's basketball? Are we going to produce more uh, WNBA talent? I know that there's there are lots of women who are playing internationally overseas, but the opportunity to stay closer to home, to be seen on television in North America is a viable thing now for Canadian women who play basketball and young girls who see and aspire to that. So what do you think the future is for basketball in, in Canada for women? I think the future is bright. Uh, we, I see, You see some really good young talent out there. Um, <laughs> hard to keep up with all the talent that you see in uh, uh, Canada now. So I think the future is so bright for our Canadian athletes. It is going to be come down to us really develop, continuing to develop our talent mm. and also our athletes going places where they can actually play, right? You want to mm. go somewhere where you can play and continue to develop at the next level so that when you do get to the pro level, you're able to produce. No doubt. Now, this may be one of those questions where you say, well, I'm contractually obligated not to answer that, but <laughs> what would be your ultimate dream job? All right, so let me, the, the PC answer I already know, it's at the <laughs> University of Toronto. It's a dream job. <laughs> yes, I'll just say it. That's a PC answer, correct? Yeah. And let's say, what is the, I'll use the Dwayne Watson air quotes, real answer? um i don't know i'm contractually obligated not to answer that question uh i honestly don't know i've always been in a position to kind of go with the flow so even with basketball and going to an open tryout for the senior women's national team and then going with the flow with that and playing on the senior team for 10 years and now i'm in this position got this coaching gig at U of T in 2017 and I've been going with the flow and really diving in. Every time I go into something, I dive in and give everything that I have. And it's always been able to 
brings success to me and the people around me. So I don't know. I, I think once no, I and you're doing the right thing. Yeah. I don't know. I respect that. I respect that. Yeah. I respect that you have a five year plan in the University of Toronto, but with so many women, the Carol Lawson's, the Becky Hammonds, the Teresa Witherspoons, people like that who are now as former players themselves and in positions whether it be at Duke or on the bench of the Boston Celtics or the mm-hmm. New Orleans Pelicans or the San Antonio Spurs having opportunities to have their names put in the hat for NBA head coaching jobs. Mm-hmm. I've said on this program on several occasions that I think there's a danger in these teams trotting out those names without actually giving them real consideration to mm-hmm. say, oh, look, look at us. We're progressive, but we're not actually going to hire this woman to lead these men. Is that something that you'd like to see someone actually pull the trigger on and, and give real uh, sustenance and, and resonance to the idea of a woman coaching in the NBA as a head coach? I think a coach is a coach, uh, man or woman. So, yeah, you want to see someone pull the trigger and give the opportunity. I mean, the opportunity is there. And if you if you don't pull the trigger, it's obviously you weren't ready for it. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's just, they're there just to be there and to say that we're progressive, like you said. Um, but I would love to see someone pull the trigger and see that a woman could lead a, a men's team just as much, so just as well as a man could lead a, a men's team. So I mean, you yeah. kind of get no stripes too. So I mean, you know, <laughs> happen. But speaking of stripes, now I'm not Canadian, but I'm aware of some of the great Canadian families from an athletic mm-hmm. standpoint. And I'm going to pick three. The Stu Hart family in Calgary, where they're wrestling, not wrestling, wrestling. <laughs> We're going to go with the Gretzky family because Wayne Gretzky could be the absolute nicest person who ever lived on this planet. It's crazy oh, how wow. nice he is as a person. Like, Wayne Gretzky could be a total, you know, but he is, I've never seen him be mean or like, un- like he's just, anyway. Enough about my Wayne Gretzky crush. So the Gretzky <laughs> family mm-hmm. or the Tatham family, because you, your brother, your sister, you guys all played professionally. You had stellar college careers. You played with, mm-hmm. I know you played, the, did your sister play with the national team as well? Yeah, we went to London Olympics together. That's kind of cool. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, it was so, really cool. <laughs> I mean, the biased answer is when I, when I ask the question, who's the greatest Canadian sporting family uh, in history? Your answer would be? I'd have to say my family. (laughs) So talk about it. Like, what makes your family that family? We've just been so engulfed in the basketball world forever. We've been in the GTA, uh, you know, so I think the GTA is big, but it's small because Mm. everyone knows about the Tatum family. (laughs) It's Mm. unbelievable. But I mean, we started out playing in Scarborough and we we all had a great opportunity to go away and play for an NCAA team and get full scholarships, which was great for my family because both my parents uh, migrated from Jamaica and I mean, them sending us off to university was not going to be an easy feat for three kids, right? So it was great for us and we took a really good opportunity of going out there and we've all been able to 
goes super far in basketball. My brother's now the head coach at McMaster University on the men's side. Mm. I'm now the head coach at U of T and my sister's still involved in basketball. So it's it's been really cool to see us progress as a family. Um, and yeah, I think we've done some really cool things on the basketball team. Well, I'm sure that your parents are proud and you guys should all be proud of yourselves. And before we go, one last mm -hmm. question. If you could play one-on-one -on -one against anybody in the history of the game, male, female, however they gender identify, whatever it is, who would that be and why? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. One-on-one. -on -one. There's some really great talent in the WNBA right now. I got somebody for you. You got someone for me. All right. Yeah. Asia Wilson. Las Vegas Ooh, Aces. That would be a good one-on-one -on -one matchup. Yeah. I mean, you're like you, you're a stellar defensive player as well. So, I mean, I'd love to see it. <laughs> I'd love to see that too. <laughs> All right. So, I, but I don't want to pick for you. I, that was too easy for me. I'm sorry. I watch the games. I watch the league. Mm -hmm. I'm a basketball guy. You know, I love basketball at whatever level um, and seeing the development, the growth of it, no matter who's playing it. And I just think I'm a, a big Asia Wilson fan. I'm a big Dawn Staley fan. So, I follow mm -hmm. Dawn a lot. And um, Asia getting out of her statue on the, the campus of South Carolina on a campus where her grandmother couldn't even walk across it. Mm -hmm. Her grandmother to be able to see that day come to fruition was a big thing for me. So I'm a big Asia Wilson fan, but I, I'm a fan of a lot of players in the league as well. But uh, like, who do you say would, would be your pick? I, I love the Asia Wilson pick. I think that's mm -hmm. a great matchup for me <laughs> in my younger days. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's awesome. I think she's super talented. I love to watch her play. Mm -hmm. um, I've been really loving watching the, the Aces uh, kill mm -hmm. it this year. So it's going to be really nice to see what happens in the end. Uh, there's some good teams in the WNBA right now. It's some really good talent. So. I like this Commissioner's Cup thing they're doing, too, the midseason tournament and how they're playing yeah. this team in the conference. The, I mean, the Aces and, and the Storm had a great game last week. Um, yeah. So it's a great hit, the, 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 the hot shot in overtime to help them win the game. But you remember how we met? <laughs> yes, I do remember how we met. <laughs> I think it was a – was it a dunk contest? It was, or... a trampoline, it was a damn trampoline dunk contest yeah. during um, – NBA All-Star Weekend 2016. I remember that. I remember that. And I think it was like on outdoors, maybe. Right? No, no, we did it inside the uh, inner kit. Oh, yeah, it was inside. Yeah. Um, with like, I, I can't, well, they're not paying me a sponsorship, so I'm not going to give them the brandy. But somebody, they, they asked this diverse panel of people. Mm -hmm. I remember that. This dunk contest. And even with the trampolines, guys are missing dunks. And like, that's tough. But uh, yeah. it, was, it was a great pleasure meeting you, and I appreciate your time and consideration. Can you please let the people know who are not only just listening to this, but who might happen to see a clip of this video where they can contact you if they have more questions, especially young ladies who are looking for opportunities and looking for you know, some mentorship, because I think it's important for us to pay it for it where we can. So let them know, mm -hmm. please. Yeah, definitely. You could easily connect with me through any of my social channels twitter uh t tatum 13 uh and instagram is just my first initial and last name and mm -hmm. then easily you can go to our varsity website and my email is posted on the website so that's another way you can contact me through my email as well
Well, Coach, I do appreciate your time and consideration. Looking forward to staying in contact and have you be a part of the Open Run experience once again. So thank you again. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Strickland want to thank coach Tatham for coming on and sharing her experiences her dreams her aspirations and her thoughts on Canadian basketball and on basketball in general uh, we definitely need more women to be involved in what we're doing here and we will definitely deliver on that sooner than later on to the news views and truths that you choose on the NBA beyond fairly well to one Marv Albert who at the end of the Atlanta Milwaukee series announced his last game in the NBA after 55 years of broadcasting and he was one of the best to ever do it. He was a part of my life because, and I think I've told this story before on the podcast, my father, bless the dead, almost missed me being born because he was listening to Marv Albert call the 1970 NBA Finals between the New York Knickerbockers and the Los Angeles Lakers of Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, and Jerry West. And somehow the better team won. But the big winners, actually the day after the NBA championship was decided, were my parents because I showed up on the scene. From the grand opening, grand closing files at the Open Run HQ, Jalen Harris of the Toronto Raptors, banned from the NBA for one year due to substance abuse violations, it's not good. Young man, before your career ever really got off the ground, you grounded it. Now, I hope whatever issues he was going through or is going through are addressed and that he can get better and heal and forget about basketball for right now. I wouldn't worry about that. I just hope that you get the help that you need, basketball aside. Also from the It's Not You, It's Me files at the Open Run HQ, Rob Palenka and Dennis Schroeder. Now, Dennis, who turned down an $84 million deal from the Lakers last summer, is betting on himself and believing that he deserves and he's earned at least between 100 and $120 million in his new contract. Don't see it happening with the Lakers and Rob Palenka. If you give that man that money, hmm, it's going to be deep. I don't know what's going to happen. Plus, they have this other guy in Portland they're looking at. I don't know. Let's see. Speaking of Portland, give it up for my man, I am Kayam, Carmelo Kayam Anthony, winner of the inaugural Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Award his charity gets $100,000 as a result of Carmelo being selected. The other nominees, Drew Holiday, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Harrison Barnes, also received $25,000 for their individual charities. So congrats to those guys for being leaders in their communities. I hate to say it, but Becky with a good hair failed the background check. Why? How? Chauncey Billups passed it. He got the job. Why did Becky Hammond not get the job in Portland? They said she interviewed well. The staff and the upper management, they liked her. But someone came with a backstory out of San Antonio that her day-to-day operational skills as a coach were lacking. That she probably didn't get along with the players as well as she should in order to find success as a head coach in the NBA. 
We've seen this in a recent movie that released last year with coach Nate Bjorkren there in Indiana for the Pacers. Didn't work out so well for them. Grand opening, grand closing out there in one year. The same fate should not befall Becky Hammond, who's more than qualified, but when will she get her day? Well, conspiracy theorists abound. And whether it's about her being a woman and not getting a job, you can say that, I'm sure. That could be a factor, no doubt. There's also this idea that somehow the Spurs hamstrung her with this report so they can keep her in house. So when Greg Popovich leaves, she's the person who gets the chair, the big piece of chicken. We'll find out sooner than later. Shouts out to my man, Take That For Data, David Fisdale, who is now an assistant coach with the Lakers, with former Wizards head coach Scott Brooks also on the list of new assistants to help round out the Lakers bench. In Orlando, the great Penny Hardaway has taken himself out of consideration for the Orlando Magic job, opting to stay in Memphis and bringing on legendary Hall of Fame coach Larry Brown, the only man to ever have won an NBA championship and an NCAA championship as a coach. But fear not, Orlando, as Wes Unseld Jr., a longtime assistant in the NBA, whose father is one of two men to have ever won Rookie of the Year and MVP in the same season, is on that list, the short list for the Orlando Magic head coaching job. Good luck, Wes. No Canada, you failed to make the Olympics again. That didn't work, but you know what I mean. How, Canada, do you lose to the mighty Czech Republic and the FIBA America's qualifying tournament with all those NBA players on your roster? The Czech Republic, I think, had one. Tomas Santoransky from the Chicago Bulls hit a crazy jumper off the glass with 1.8 seconds left in the game. My man Carlin Gay was calling that for the zone and for FIBA. And I know it hurt his heart as a Canadian to see that happen, but... At what point does Canada realize its talent in the Olympics and actually medal? They've never had this great of an array of talent, but maybe it's the coaching. Who knows? Maybe it's the lineup. I don't know, but we'll find out because now they have to wait until Paris to give it another shot in the 2024 Olympics then. And then there were two. The last two teams standing in the 2020-2021 NBA season the Phoenix Suns of the Western Conference and the Milwaukee Bucks of the Eastern Conference are ready to do battle tonight in Game 1 of the NBA Finals. And I'm looking forward to it. I can't imagine that anyone called this the beginning of the season. But I do recall one of the best, most wildly entertaining games of the year happened in mid-April between the Bucks and the Suns, an overtime affair in which the Suns won the second of the two-game series between the teams by one point again as they won 125-124 to 124 back in February and then again in April by one, 128-127. to 127. Precursors to the finals? I didn't think so at the time, but now that I look at it, pretty good matchup. Both games had Giannis. Game one may not have Giannis, who's still suffering from a knee injury that generally would take anywhere between two to four, four to six weeks to recover from. He missed at least 10 games during the regular season. If this happened, then will this timetable be accelerated for the 26-year-old two-time most valuable player of the league? We shall see. 
How will it affect the rhythm and the overall team success that the Bucks have found with Brooke Lopez, Chris Milton, and Drew Randall Holiday running the show there with contributions from Bobby Porter's Pat Connaughton, and of course, the artist also known as Anthony Leon Tucker Jr. How did both teams get here? Both squads beat last year's conference finalists in the first round of the playoffs, the Lakers Losing in six to the Suns, the Miami Heat having revenge exacted upon them by the Milwaukee Bucks by being swept out of the playoffs in the first round four straight. That the Suns vanquished both LA teams and also another conference finalist and the Denver Nuggets from last year bodes well for them. What bodes well for Milwaukee outside of sweeping the Miami Heat is being the super team that was never to be in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets. Injuries aside, injuries are part of the game. We talked about this all the time. Not one NBA championship has been determined without injuries affecting the outcome. Not one. But I want to send a special shout out to former Phoenix Sun, The Diesel, The Big Cactus, Shaquille Roshan O'Neal, whose streak of having at least one teammate in the NBA Finals over the past 37 years was broken when Rajon Pierre Rondo and the Clippers did not make the NBA Finals this year. Time for a new streak. Who's that guy who has the tentacles to do it? Could be another guy in LA. You know, the hashtag, uh, he who shan't be named. But that's a whole nother conversation. We'll talk about the Suns and the Bucks. Both teams have made the Finals twice in their franchise history. The Bucks winning in 1971 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Oscar Robertson, losing in 74 to the Celtics. And they have not been back since. So a 47-year drought for the Milwaukee Bucks, no more. And the Phoenix Suns, who have participated in two NBA Finals, one in 1976, which included, as many allege, the greatest game ever played, a triple overtime thriller against the Celtics uh, in a series, obviously they lost because they have never won in the NBA Finals. And in 1993, the MVP year for Charles Barkley against Michael Jeffrey Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, they came up short in six games as well. So these teams both have legacies to cement. One for Christopher Emmanuel Paul after 16 years of applying his trade in the NBA, finally making the NBA Finals. This time, instead of him watching, he who shan't be named in the Finals. He gets to have his friend watch him do his thing and go on because in order to be the man, you've got to beat the man and they beat the man already. So, do they have a chance? Well, Vegas has locked in the Suns as the early favorite to win the championship. But let's talk about some of these matchups. Chris Paul versus Drew Holiday. Hall of Famer versus one of the best defensive players and most well-rounded players. And when he plays aggressive, great two-blade player in the NBA. Former All-Star Drew Holiday. You got Devin Booker and Chris Melton. That's going to be a matchup to watch for sure. At three, Mikel Bridges versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. I doubt he's going to be guarding Giannis. They'll probably have Jay Crowder on him the majority of the time, if not DeAndre Ayton, because Brooke Lopez will be guarded by either Jay Crowder or Mikel Bridges. And depending upon if Giannis plays or not, going to make a difference in those matchups. And at the five, is it Ayton versus Brooke Lopez? Is it P.J. Tucker and Mikel Bridges? We don't know. We'll find out later on tonight. Game 1 happens at 9 p.m. Eastern in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't think the Phoenix Suns lose Game 1. I don't think because of the way they're coached, because they're very even-keeled, they're not going to be reading their press clippings. They have an older leader. They're going to come out and do what they need to do in Game 1, whether Giannis is there or not. I'm predicting that 
they win the first two games in Phoenix. Milwaukee goes home, wins game three. They probably activate Giannis then, but they lose game four. And being down 3-1, they win game five, a pivotal game five in Phoenix, but ultimately lose in game six back in Milwaukee to the 2021 NBA champion, Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul cements his legacy and his legend as a top five all-time NBA point guard. Some people may disagree. I don't. What is your prediction? You know my socials. Hit me up. Let me know. I'm very interested to find out. Whatever the result is, I'm looking forward to a great series. Hopefully Giannis gets to play and injuries are mitigated as much as possible. And we are entertained by two young teams looking for their glory and their opportunity this year. Before I get out of here, I want to address the ESPN Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor incident. There's an old saying in the black community because, you know, we're all monolith of course but you know things go get around plus we have the internet and everything but you got to work twice as hard to get half as much maria taylor is up for a new contract at espn she does a lot there she's definitely a workhorse on the football side with college football she's all over the nba she's very versatile very valuable to the team she wasn't looking to get re-upped from one million dollars a year i think it's alleged what she makes or approximately what she makes to four or five million. She's looking at Stephen A numbers, eight to 10. Not sure if ESPN will get that to her, but maybe her ally, Rachel Nichols, will look out for her to get that, or maybe she won't. In a widely spread recording of Nichols referring to the pickle that the ESPN brass have put them in, because, you know, women, they must stick together. At the root of this whole thing is Rachel Nichols saying that she's an ally and that she's all for progress just as long as it doesn't stop her flow on one hand i guess i can get that you know you don't want to lose your job or or get reassigned for someone else i get it there's pride involved there but at what cost is it easier enough to leverage the fact that both of you are women your struggles are not the same they're not let's be clear on that i guess it's a justification that somehow rachel nichols feels like hey look espn's crappy record on diversity hires Like Maria Taylor is an affirmative action baby. That's kind of tough. But hey, who to blame here? Rachel Nichols? ESPN? I love the fact that Maria Taylor, at least since this podcast was recorded, has not said a word. That her silence is golden and it could be even more so when it comes to the negotiating table. But you got to watch who you call friends. Because, hey, it costs free 99 to stay quiet. And as my man Rod said from The Black Guy Who Tips... Progress is all good until you have to give up some space for someone else. Then it ain't so good. But what is good to you and good for you is the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is the open run with Will Strickland. So until next week, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble and keep listening. So my man, Rich Kid, the sound provider. Let's go. Easy. Easy.